We want to take a second to thank you for supporting Womance by listening to our podcast. One great way that you can continue supporting us, including those listens, is hitting subscribe, telling a friend, leaving a review. That stuff all really matters. Sharing it on your personal social media is another great way to spread the word about Womance. And another option for supporting us, if we may be so bold, is to recommend going to our Patreon, where you can donate as little as a dollar a month to help us spread the word of woe. If you want to contribute more than a dollar a month, which obviously no pressure, whatever you've got, we are so appreciative to have, but we have awesome gifts for you. If you want a hand address letter from Morgan and Isabeau, maybe with some special woe stickers, other merch, just uh, visit our Patreon. We are Womance on Patreon, or is it patreon.com forward slash Womance? We would be very proud to call you one of our patrons. I'm Isabel. I'm Morgan. And this is Womance. A podcast about romance novels. About Renfest. About kilt fetishization. About people who say huzzah unironically. About the healing waters of small towns. About kissing your niece's teacher. About the relentless power of a certain movie adapted from a certain amusement park ride. About guyliner. Most of all, it's about that first thing. Romance novels. And? Ourselves. This week, we are talking about Well Met by Jen DeLuca. Oh, Isabeau, this was um, selected and recommended by you. It was. After you and I had what I'm going to go ahead and call a transformative trip to the Renaissance Festival. It was transcendent. It was my first adult trip to a Renaissance fair. Crazy. And I... Loved it. Uh, it should come as no surprise to longtime listeners that I have been going to this very specific, very good Renaissance festival for eight years running. Even when I was a thousand months pregnant, I have nothing like every time I go, it's just the best. I love the run fair. The one we go to, well, I feel like this is it probably is the same one the author of this book would attend most frequently. It is. It, it's none other than the award-winning Bristol Renaissance Fair, mm-hmm. which you informed me is Elizabethan. It is. You informed me is constructed so that it's it's up just year-round since the 80s. Has permanent structures, has been running for 36 years. The Renaissance Fair in Bristol and I share a common birth year. <laughs> coincidence i think not and you actually your cousin actually worked at the bristol renaissance fair and so there was lots of delightful what i love more than anything which is bts behind the scenes gossip yep and there was a lot which we will not put on record you'll have to actually meet us irl to hear you should meet us irl and then buy isabeau a drink and i will give you all the dirty laundry (laughs) All the fifth-hand dirty laundry. Uh, All those petticoats and hose. But we don't care. We'll slander a renaissance fair. Certainly the characters. 
off record, it's not slander, I don't think. What was your favorite thing that we attended? Um, like the my favorite show. Mm-hmm. I loved is his name Moody? Mooney. Mooney. I loved Mooney. I thought he was wonderful. I love I, I typically audience participation makes me break out in hives. <laughs> um, but this audience participation was not me. Mm-hmm. And so I loved it for that. And also <laughs> like it was just like a great, like surprisingly warm mm-hmm. mime mummery show mm-hmm. surprisingly tender mooney is very very funny and also a very serious chicago actor when he is not whistling and miming every summer you gotta keep that bts gossip under your gestures cap that's not gossip i love the joust um and you and i that was your favorite i love it every year i do really love it um you and i got to see the joust to the death which was really exciting for us i thought it was interesting when i was a youngster I told you about this. I went to a Renaissance fair and we saw like a joust in the afternoon under God's sun shine. <laughs> <laughs> and it was very funny and silly. And so we were like, oh, let's stay all day mm-hmm. so we can go back to the joust to the death. And then by the end of the day, it was like raining and muddy. And they did a super dramatic interpretation of a joust to the death. And we're like, fighting in the mud and stuff. And I remember the nights being like mic'd up, but that might have been just me being a child and thinking everything was a bigger deal than it was. So I've been reflecting on it a lot because I felt like the joust to the death we saw was still pretty light and mm-hmm. silly. But then I was like, there's probably a five-year-old who saw it and is like... Scarred forever. Forever changed like I was. Probably. <laughs> like ready to watch Gladiator. Yeah. I'm like do it themselves, right? Because there are people who like go to the run fest and like it's a fun thing that you do like once a summer. There are people who go to the run fest and participate, and then there are the people who do the run fest. You mean like the employees? Yeah, like the people who volunteer and like just like do it. Or even the people like who go like both days every weekend in full costume. Like when we were there, we saw a guy dressed in Damon Targaryen dragon armor and we were there and it was very very hot and very busy because we went for pirate weekend which i had never been to before i remember that guy leaving right as we were walking in and he'd clearly just gone to get his sword sharpened (laughs) and he was just like uh, walking out wearing like gym shorts and like a t-shirt but then like fully strapped in a leather (laughs) harness to carry his broad sword and i was like i think he just came here for services and you can do that at the run fair, you know, you can get your sword sharpened, you can get a new mug, you can get... You can do that at the Bristol Renaissance Fair, which by the way isn't volunteers, it's all employees. Yeah, well, they're the ca- some of the cast members are volunteer. Um, what? Mm-hmm. Not everybody's paid. Protest. Eat the rich. The revolution begins at the Bristol Renaissance Fair. Just south of Kenosha, turn left at the Culver's. But we... <laughs> But it's like that prepared me for a very different reality than what is presented to us in Well Met by Jen DeLuca. Do you want me to read the back of the book? Yeah. All's fair, F-A-I-R-E, in love and war for two sworn (laughs) enemies who indulge in a harmless flirtation in a laugh out loud rom-com from debut author Jen DeLuca. 
Emily knew there would be strings attached when she relocated to the small town of Willow Creek, Maryland for the summer to help her sister recover from an accident, but who could anticipate getting roped into volunteering for the local Renaissance Fair alongside her teenage niece, or that the irritating and inscrutable school teacher in charge of the volunteers would be so annoying that she finds it impossible to stop thinking about him. The fair is Simon's family legacy, and from the start he makes clear he doesn't have time for Emily's lighthearted approach to life, her oddball Shakespeare conspiracy theories, or her endless suggestions of new acts to shake things up. Yet, on the fairgrounds, he becomes a different person, flirting freely with Emily when she's in her revealing wenches costume. But is this attraction real or just part of the characters they're portraying? This summer was only ever supposed to be a pit stop on the way to somewhere else for Emily, but soon she can't seem to shake the fantasy of establishing something more with Simon or a permanent home of her own in Willow Creek. So this Renaissance Fair is super tiny. It's all tents. And it's an all-volunteer fundraiser for the local high school. Which is a different vibe. Uh, it's a peanuts <laughs> in comparison to Bristol. If I go anywhere after Bristol and it's all tents, I'm kicking a tent pole. <laughs> <laughs> I'm knocking the whole thing down. Sounds so. like you just got to stay at Bristol. Live and die at the Bristol Renaissance Fair. Listen, when you got the best, why would you go anywhere else? Like, this is my argument for Chicago in general. The first K-drama I watched was Coffee Prince. Mm. And I just stumbled upon it. Mm -hmm. You know, like I knew about K-dramas and stuff, but I just kind of randomly selected it. And I had a student who was super into K-dramas, and I was like, I loved Coffee Prince. I was like, what should I watch next? And she was like, unfortunately, that's the best one. (laughs) When you start out with the gold standard, it's just hard to move. It's hard to move. It's like such an over-the-top contemporary romantic comedy romance novel concept that a high school would put on a renaissance fair every summer to raise money for the obscure nebulous concept of the high school (laughs) (laughs) commentary on our uh, education department and its funding system yeah but you didn't know that was privatized too (laughs) everybody's selling donated beers (laughs) by busty winches in order to in order to the chess team's polos (laughs) and the band uniforms Copies of All Quiet on the Western Front. It's essentially a giant booster club for the high school. And it's run by people in the town. And, like, it got its start from Simon's older, sainted brother who has since died of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And Simon takes it super seriously, but Simon takes all things seriously, Mm -hmm. uh, which is his whole deal. Very much a, a Darcy Yep. So annoying she can't stop thinking about him. Except when he puts on his guy liner and becomes Captain Ian Blackshear. Oh, God. (laughs) This is true, and Jen DeLuca has it on her ex, formerly known as Twitter, um, that the guy who played pirate or Captain Hook in um, Once Upon a Time, the TV show, was part of her inspiration for Simon's uh, Renaissance Fair alter ego. Oh my gosh, do you remember when Jamie Dornan, is that his name, was the sheriff? And then he quit that show so he could do The Fall, which I think was the right move. It was the right move. Yeah, what happened to the Captain Hook? Naturally, I was more 
um, invested in the Cinderella Rumpelstiltskin story. <laughs> Makes sense. Very on brand. Very on brand. <laughs> the weirdo with the bony fingers. <laughs> in, in, no, but behind you, good pirate, sir. He's got like, he looks jaundiced. Step aside, <laughs> generically handsome man. <laughs> yeah, I would like that one who's forcing a woman to love him. Your guyliner can't hide that you are basically just crackers. <laughs> I'm I'm here for the filet mignon. Thank you so much, you rickety pile of saltines. I just don't like. I I can get that anywhere. I like. I just need something uh, with taste. No, I wish all the best to the guy who played Captain Hook in Once Upon a Time. I'm glad to hear that because whenever I hear pirates and guyliner, mm-hmm. I unfortunately assume Pirates of the Caribbean, Johnny Depp. Which was also what a lot of the people at Pirates Weekend at Bristol also assumed. That is what they assume. Johnny Depp has a that character and specifically has a lot of staying power. Johnny Depp has a lot of staying power, which I guess terrifyingly predictable. (sighs) I mean, look, Pirates of the Caribbean had me in a chokehold. I'm like scared to watch it lest I slide down again. And I didn't even write any Davy Jones fan fiction. I I feel like you're trying to personally call me out on that score. It's like, listen, I wrote Davy Jones. He was super hot and he had a tentacle beard. And he's... I, I'm not calling you out. Feels, I'm just saying, like, feels like I'm you not... Are. I didn't even go there. And the other thing, like, if we're going to take this tangent, one of the things that I did and do continue to love, even though I haven't watched Pirates in the Caribbean in a long time, is that Elizabeth Swan is given multiple credible outfits, outfits, but also other partners, <laughs> right? We've got longstanding, beautiful Orlando Bloom, beautiful William, pure of heart, whatever. We've got Davy Jones's weird fucking shit. We got Johnny Depp's jack sparrow weird fucking shit we also had like come from behind commodore norrington who like yeah no kidding (laughs) the older i get the more commodore norrington can get it if i could just get a commodore norrington and rumpelstiltskin from once upon a time sandwich and i'm the meat and they're the two very different kinds of bread. You really want, you want sourdough and pumpernickel, you know what I mean? It's like you <laughs> want choice. Right. That's right. You know, I think it was important for Disney to have the girl that we identified with kiss all the boys. Mm-hmm. And they realized that and they followed through. And they got it. Her outfits were outstanding. Yeah, her hair, mm. like when it was all golden and she was all golden. I mean, honestly, the desiccating eggshells in the soil of romance are the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise. That might be true. (laughs) That might be true for the both of us. So I can just hop off my high horse about it. But I don't know. It's just like one of those things, like the memification, like all movies that are great get memified. That's true. Like, hey, I'm walking here. Mm -hmm. Um, Midnight Cowboy is actually... Very dark. A wonderful movie. Very good movie. Um, But that's all anybody knows. Are you not entertained? Gladiator, also a great movie. You know. It is weird that Gladiator is memed in the same way that, like, 
elf is memed, right? When he's like, Santa's coming, <laughs> I know him, or like you sit on a throne of lies, is memed as much as are you not entertained? And I think that says something really specific about millennials. Well, also with like the same affect. Mm. Like it's jovial both ways. Yes. It's not like we're... <laughs> It's not like someone's in a fatal car accident and then cries out, are you not entertained? No, it's like watching somebody who like lose their frappuccinos. They like stumble through a crosswalk. Are you not entertained? It's like. It's got to have that irony. But see, I think as humans, we just have instincts to pet the rabbit. Mm. Like we're just Lenny's. Like if we if we like something, we have to we have to pet it to death. My baby has learned that she can use her hands in coordination and like wanted to scoop up the cat and like squeeze it to death, just as you were saying, like you want to pet the bunny until it dies. And it like immediately the thing that came out of my mouth is like, hmm. Good thing you're not a bird, lest I kill you with much cherishing. And it's like this, you know, that's from Romeo and Juliet. It's like, this is the thing that humans understand about themselves. It's like, we love things too hard. Um, And oftentimes we just like rub the fur right off their little bodies. Well, it's our it's our instinct to love as hard as possible. What a weird instinct. Yeah, to say nothing of the fact that I call your baby Lenny. <laughs> and she loves bunnies. <laughs> if you show Lenny a bunny, she'll go, <laughs> just scrub her little nose. It's so cute. It's the cutest thing. It's adorable. I mean, speaking of like the way we like pet the rabbit, can we talk about the current state of contemporary romance comedy, rom com? So can I get something off my chest, Morgan? I guess. Can I put it back on if I don't like it? Sure, absolutely. You just slap it right back on. (laughs) I hate that books are called (laughs) rom-coms. I hate it. (laughs) Movies are rom-coms. Books are fucking books. Like, what the fuck are we doing? I I don't read it in 92 minutes. Like... Everything has to be a thing. Rom-coms have to hit very specific beats. Books can take time. They can, like, develop, Mm. unspool even in a different direction than I expected. Rom-com shouldn't. Like, it it, it needs to hit its Pixar Disney beats. It's also so – we've talked about this in the past. It is so difficult to be funny in writing. Mm -hmm. And by announcing yourself as a comedy Mm – you just made your incline 40% steeper. Yeah. To get in a laugh out loud chuckle. Yeah. I also think it's kind of, it is uh, annoying to me that I want to say rom com. There are contempt. Okay. So there's like, welcome to your first episode of Womance. So there's, <laughs> is the two main categories of romance novel are historical and contemporary. And how fascinating is it? <laughs> Temporality is our chief <laughs> definer <laughs> definer of like romance preference, but it's true. Um, even though like so much of the ideology and angst or whatever can be in both areas and like our ability to understand if we're going to 
enjoy a novel has to do with its temporality first. Mm. I don't know. Strange, right? But also that it's temporality. It's like very rare that you'll like have a historical rom-com. I guess they're more common now. And like... Yeah, Tessa Dare, pioneer. (laughs) Although, yeah, some of hers have been very funny and some of hers haven't. But I think like part of the other thing is like, I'm glad that you're like breaking it down in terms of temporality rather than like weird subgenre where it's like because I think like the fantasy and like the shifters can straddle strange lines like they're less concerned with temporality but they often have more in common with like one or the other I can't think of a shifter romance that has a historic setting none of them that we've read do I also can't think of a of a monster romance contemporary romance seems way more segmented Mm -hmm. like i feel like historical romance if it's a historical it's either like more lighthearted or more angsty Mm -hmm. and then there's also this like uh shuddering attic called bodice rippers (laughs) from from the olden days uh in which we have our uh play fort set up the official woman's play fort but you know over on the in the contemporary romance side of things you can be anything you want Mm -hmm. you can be a mafia romance Mm -hmm. you can be a dark romance you can be a romantic comedy Mm -hmm. You know, it's like that quote from Anna Karenina, like, all happy families are happy in the same way. <laughs> all unhappy families are unique. Yeah, I think that's true for ro- contemporary romance novels. Yeah. Like, all of the happy ones, the rom-coms. <laughs> what could we call them instead? We can't, like, we can't honestly call them anything else, right? Because, like... While I wouldn't call them like a Notting Hill rom-com or a Four Weddings and a Funeral because the filmic thing that they most mirror are the Hallmark original Christmas movies. Like, boy, howdy, do they ever. (sighs) Beat for beat, honestly. So listening, so I listened to this book on tape. Mm -hmm. Um, It was good. It was Mm -hmm. a good uh, listen option if you're interested. But, like, we've got – this was the time when I was, like – I feel like you and I have jokingly pointed out when a contemporary romance has a lot in common with a Hallmark movie. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are writers who I think go against that, but this book isn't that. Nope. We've got a small town. Mm -hmm. We've got a smaller business. Our main character ends up getting a job – not just in the bookstore, but in the coffee shop of a bookstore when she isn't volunteering at the Renaissance Festival. It's always some kind of shop. Um, there's an ex who wears a necktie and does misdeeds. And he's a big city guy. Boston. For the sake of his ambition. Mm-hmm. There's um, an exasperated but needy and bottomlessly loving family. Mm-hmm. So in the case of Emily, she's moved to this small town to help take care of her sister after her sister was in a really bad car accident and her sister's um, recovering. And so she's a single mother. So Emily comes to town to help kind of take care of the kid Mm -hmm. uh, who is in high school. There's also the sassy friend who shows up. There's the kind of interfering child who we just talked about, Emily's niece. And it's always a grumpy sunshine. And it can go either way. In this way, it's the usual way. The boy is the grumpy. The girl is the sunshine. But like, which came first? 
just like were were Hallmark Christmas movies influenced by romance novels, or have romance novels been influenced by Hallmark Christmas movies? And if we've got this like Hallmark Christmas movie structure coming into the books, it feels like they're they have more in common. And I know you don't like to say rom com because that's a movie and this is a book, but it almost feels like they've got more in common with those movies than they do with the other texts, uh, the other books in romance, and in general, that surround them. If something has a Hallmark movie plotline, it's a romance. No, I totally agree. So like, in terms of your question, what came first? My total instinct here is that category romance came first. Category romances, you're 192 pages, you're falling in love with your brother's soon-to-be father-in-law who owns a trucking empire, and you're 21, and you're trapped at the cabin, which only has one bed, right? I have not seen that Hallmark movie. You haven't seen that Hallmark movie, but you've seen a Hallmark movie where somebody falls in love with, like, you know, sister's new brother-in-law or, you know, whatever. And so my sense of it is, is that category romances have been perennially popular for decades. Hallmark was like, you know what works? Category romances. What happens if we put Melissa Joan Hart and that Lawrence brother in a movie and make it about Christmas tree farming? Let's just like, let's let's see where it leads. And then, you know, once you get one and it becomes kind of popular, you can do more. And then like the Hallmark movie juggernaut just like blew into the zeitgeist. And then I think it like began informing contemporary romances in Berkeley, right? Because like if this were a category romance that you and I read and like, and it was published, let's say in 1991, would we have the same concerns about like the small town versus big town about like the questions of like what is ideologically happening here in the same way that we're like, well, this is just a Hallmark movie. I think that they're now in a feedback loop is what I'm saying. I don't think the Hallmark Christmas movies were that informed by category romance because I think about the category romances we've read and they've all been pretty off the wall (laughs) and radically different from one another. The Denver one, though, that we read last Christmas where she's like the event planner and he's like the rancher. I feel like I've seen a Hallmark Christmas movie like that. Don't think, first of all, they were black in that book. (laughs) And I think... That's true. Hallmark has only recently started... Making Christmas movies with uh, people of color as main characters. She also, like, her sister was in porn. That's true. That wouldn't happen in a Hallmark Christmas movie. I think Hallmark might have seen that formulaic made-for-TV movies worked. And so whenever they got a hit on their hands with a Christmas movie that was romantic, they thought, we don't need to rethink this that much. Lifetime isn't really rethinking this stuff so much right so we don't have to we'll just make it pro men (laughs) (laughs) like viciously pro men and like yeah like 
but somehow meaner <laughs> to Morgan. <laughs> and also like viciously pro-femininity that isn't about jobs or competence. Violently pro-labradoodle. <laughs> Also, as you gamely acknowledge, like, incredibly pro-precocious child. And, like, there's always, like, a <laughs> yes, found yeah. family element. Like, it doesn't necessarily end in a baby. But, you know, where else this is? This is, like, Miracle on 34th Street, where it's, like, the single mom who's, like, deeply ambitious city girl has a kid who's, like, oh, the only thing I want for Christmas is a dad and a baby sibling. And, like, that's what, like, that model is. Yeah, I just think like category romance is actually too subversive to be a Hallmark Christmas movie to have informed it. And yet romance, I can believe, is deeply informed by Hallmark Christmas movies. Because like the other thing we've seen, we've talked about, is like a decline in weirdness in romance novels. And well met, we know BTS gossip. A renaissance festival is ripe for weird stuff. Did you know that these people just camp out in the woods together every weekend of the summer? Yeah, they just sleep in the back of their Subarus. Yeah, or somebody else's Subaru. Right? Who's Zooming who? Come on. Who's Zooming who? (laughs) (laughs) Who's Zooming who? Right? All of that is absent. It's very ripe for that. And like... I understand that these texts wouldn't exist in their numbers if they weren't beloved. Mm -hmm. But it's like, I find it so inoffensive Mm -hmm. as to be offensive. Yes. (laughs) I, I just wish there was like more zest, more punch. It's like afraid of offending anyone. And in afraid of being offended, like if it's for everybody, it's for nobody. Exactly. It pulls every punch, every punch. And it, and what's kind of a bummer is that it feels like a couple are set up in this book. Not just the setting itself, but the nature of Simon's relationship with his deceased brother, who was a dynamo, big man on campus, and came to really form Simon's identity was formed in relationship to his brother, which I know you and I can relate to double baby surprise. (laughs) This is welcome to our podcast within a podcast. Babies talking babies, babies fucks with babies. You know, he talks about idolizing his brother and we get these blushes from characters who aren't Simon. His brother wasn't always perfect. He was pretty, he was bad at execution. Like you couldn't see a plan through to the end. He had no sense of details. But Simon's reaction to that is to be staunchly insistent in its correctness, which is a weird thing to do. But also like deeply understandable. Like I think where this book is most human is Simon's grief. And that like his brother is this like, charismatic dynamo as you said and that like even when people point out parts of his brother that are like less shiny they're in in the deification of someone who dies young like those qualities that would have been annoying in someone who is alive become sanctified in someone who died when they shouldn't have and like that to me totally normal like a really really cogent descriptor of someone's grief but it doesn't shake that jello 
What can can you say more? It says, "Look at this Jello," but you know what? This Jello is okay. <laughs> like it doesn't make the Jello all that difficult. Like it's just like at the end, Simon's like, "You know what? We will rearrange the cocktail tables <laughs> in the pub." Can I tell you that like we have now stumbled upon my weirdest part? So, oof, um, without like getting like super personal or whatever. Um, my, my beloved brother-in-law lost his sister to, uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and she died in 2015 at the ripe old age of 33. And so like, I identify with this storyline. Because Simon turns 29, the age his brother was when he died, over the course of this renaissance fair season. He has now, he's gotten more days than his brother, his older brother has. And like, that's a hard thing. I thought that detail was really smart. But also important for the book is that the brother, Sean, has only been dead for three years. (laughs) Which is like, not a long time, especially for someone who like, took up a lot of oxygen. Uh, And then like, Emily comes in and she recognizes the date of the brother's death. There's like a plaque at the Renaissance Fair. She sees what's going on, that there seems to be like a a grief stagnation in Simon. And um, he's living in his parents' house. They didn't want to live in it anymore. It makes total sense to get an RV and they're just like leaving Simon, which seems terrible to be alone in his grief. I don't know. He's 26 i mean like okay you're right but um they leave him alone in his grief they give him the house and he doesn't change very much about it like maybe some stuff in the kitchen but like all of the family pictures are there there's so there's like an arrested grief where it's like something should happen i agree with emily the main character that like some like stuff should be moving but like boy howdy Like, her big, like, come to Jesus about, like, it's me or the Ren Fair and it'll always be the Ren Fair because it's your dead brother. And, like, you're... (laughs) It's been three years. (laughs) Can we, like, you know, sort of, like, just, like, give Simon a little more grace? Like, let's change the chairs and maybe the juggler who's bad and sexist. Okay, let's try out, like, let's see how that change goes and then we'll, like... Like, it it was just, like, for such a sanitized, inoffensive novel to have very, very high grief stakes and then to have the main character who's like, you just can't get over your dead brother. I'm like, that's correct. Like, it is, like, there was the time before (laughs) Simon's brother was dead and now there is the rest of his life after. And, like, that's a... That's a life-changing event. Like, the course of his life has literally been changed. Um, I don't think three years is enough for you to be like, it's me or the Ren Fair who is your dead brother. <laughs> That's a really... I hadn't thought about that. I mean, yeah, so I guess it is shaking the jello. It's like, this guy needs to move on. Yeah, that's 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 definitely what this book is saying. And I was like, I don't know that we need to move on that fast, though. Like, But, like, the way he moves on is he gets a girlfriend, which feels like the wrong way... To move on. <laughs> to move on. I, I mean, I'm sure she, like, you know, I'm sure there's something in here, someone, you know, about, like, 
falling in love can help you be brave and do new things. And that's true. Simon just doesn't do them. Like, (laughs) firing a sexist juggler is the least of your problems. And to, like, it's like a really small problem that he absolutely should be dealing with and that he should get rid of. Yeah. And he doesn't want to because he doesn't want to change the run fair because his brother set it up. That's all fine. It's just- I don't I don't think like I don't buy that he doesn't want to cancel a contract with a juggler because his brother <laughs> like his the juggler isn't like his brother's best friend or something. No. Like I could see that, right? Like that's like the stakes are so weird. Yes. It's like a contract with a juggler, you can't even find I can't move cocktail tables around. It's me or the Renaissance. It's me. The girl you had sex with one time in your childhood bedroom, and I was super into it. Or, or the Renaissance Fair, the living embodiment of your dead brother. Yeah, the stakes are really weird. You know, in the afterwards, some of these problems that we talk about are resolved. Mm. But, like, I feel ultimately, like, there's no pressure put on the larger problem of him adhering to the narrative his brother gave him. By staying in the same small town, by working in the high school that they went to together. There's, like, the other thing about, like, the dynamic between Simon and Sean that's very weird. Like, there's this moment where she's in the house that he's been left by his parents and that he's, like, kind of left, like, a tomb. And she's, like, snooping on all the pictures. And she comes to this realization that, like, when the boys are very small, Simon has as big a smile as his brother Sean. And that, like, the more Sean comes out as, like, who he is like this dynamo like the smaller that simon gets in the picture yeah like he's not smiling with teeth his smile gets smaller and smaller like simon gets smaller and smaller and now like sean's dead and simon is still small inscrutable and like angry the subtext there is very interesting very very interesting. But it's also what I found strange about that is like that's her interpretation of like what's happening. And the book expects us to take that at face value. But anytime that Simon gives us Sean or gives us his relationship with his brother, he's like, I was content to be second fiddle, which is like space that's worth troubling. Yes. You know, if you, if your narrative of yourself is like, I was happy to be background, interesting. That's interesting about you. Let's, like, investigate that further. But, like, the book just, just like, Simon was content to play background. Isn't that sad? Maybe it's good his brother's dead. It's like, that's a weird thing to think. But that's the part that, like, it doesn't want to, like, actually say out loud. Yeah. It's not even, like, the quiet part. It's like, it asks the question, like... What is a pip when Gladys Knight dies? <laughs> yeah, and then the answer is still still a pip. Still a pip. And just kind of like a regular pip. A cool pip, and maybe like it has a chance to be its own Gladys Knight. A pip a pip that can dick down. <laughs> but a pip nonetheless. Yeah, there's there's so much interesting subtext that if you like made it text. Like, what if they had a fight about that? And he's like, she's like, look at these pictures. And he's like, you don't know me. Like, you don't get it. You don't get it. And it's like, it's true. There's even a moment where he's like, 
Well, you understand why I would want to keep the Renaissance Festival because you have a sister that you moved to a small town and like uprooted your whole life to help. You get the thing about siblings. We're the same. (laughs) We're the same. And she's like, my sister and I weren't actually that close. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. And I was like, that's interesting. Let's scratch that a little bit more. And then it's like, nope, moving on. There's this thing about like, refusing to be defined by your family and like insisting on being defined by your family that's really interesting goes nowhere goes nowhere just stays on this like gentle lulling inoffensive inoffensive breeze like this is a great example of sensibilities not always aligning with the text I want to talk about those oddball Shakespeare theories. <laughs> oddball in scare quotes. Okay. It's like the oldest conspiracy about Shakespeare that exists. Well, and it's also, okay. So her oddball Shakespeare theory, she actually is like, I would never believe this. And Simon's like, good. I don't think I could kiss you on the mouth if I thought you believed anyone but Shakespeare wrote Shakespeare. Um, Excuse me. He he might as well be a friggin' dinosaur. And we don't know if those guys had feathers. It's true. We don't know that. So you're telling me, like, may as well be a fantasy character. I, there, I said it. I don't know. Like, the fact that you would have that much confidence about Shakespeare writing his own books as a small town high school English teacher. Kiss my ass. That is not... <laughs> It is not oddball to entertain the possibility that maybe the whole folio wasn't his folio. Also, like, numerous books have been written about it. It's like... And it's treated like this, like, goofy goober (laughs) worldview. And I get that it's not the generally accepted idea around Shakespeare, But it's also, like, as silly to me to feel strongly that Shakespeare wrote Shakespeare as it is to feel strongly that Marlowe wrote Shakespeare. Like, you're you're equally silly billies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, or that, like, Queen Elizabeth herself wrote Shakespeare and that Will Shakespeare was an actor that she paid to be her beard in that way. Like, it's fun. Her beard in that way. (laughs) You know, it's like, it's fun. Like the conspiracy (laughs) theories around Shakespeare aren't, they're mainstream, right? Like, now be careful because I'm sure there is a version of Shakespeare didn't write Shakespeare that gets anti-Semitic. Oh, 100% and gets real fucked up. And I'm just saying like the one about like the Earl, the Queen, Kit Marlowe, those are like. She talks about it broadly. She's like, or maybe he didn't write it. Mm -hmm. And Simon's like, get out of here with that. He like rolls his eyes unironically. It takes like the least offensive thing you could possibly create conflict around, flirtatious conflict, and then insists that it's just flirtation. There's nothing serious there at all. You know, it's almost like I'm shocked that she made a lasagna, an ethnic food. They go to a dive bar and they talk about how nice the dive bar is during the day. (laughs) 
Like, I could see how this would be a good family restaurant. Like, it is the, the most hallmarky, hallmark book imaginable. Also, like, if you've been to a small town, 9,000 people, where, like, the English teacher is also running the Renaissance Fair, which is essentially a booster so the band kids can have uniforms, you know as well as I do that that dive bar looks worse in sunshine because you can see the fucking shit on the floor that hasn't been swept and you're not going to ask how long and it smells like Rhonda, <laughs> and you know what Rhonda smells like because you have to hug Rhonda every year at the christmas parade and you hate it surprisingly this is a book that um whitewashes small town life (laughs) (laughs) the other thing is like the man who dresses like a pirate is an english teacher and runs his own literal fiefdom as the renaissance he's a nightmare Mm -hmm, he is he's a he's 24 7 slanging hog with the same five people who didn't give him the time of day during high school. Speaking of which, I love the gym teacher character. I assume he's in Mitch. the next <laughs> series. Yeah. He and the sister hook up. What? He and the sister who is in the grievous car accident that left her unable to walk. Oh, nice. <laughs> nice. I thought he would obviously hook up with the stout, sassy friend. She hooks up with one of the uh, run fair characters. The the traveling show folk. Oh, the traveling show folk. <laughs> the show folk. Like body songs <laughs> at the tavern. Um, what was your weirdest part? That was my weirdest part. The Shakespeare conspiracy really rubbed me the wrong way. That's funny. But it's like impossible to find like a weirdest part in this book. I mean, other than the stakes being insanely. Besides the (laughs) one you talked about. Yeah. The one you stole. Sorry. And mine is nothing if not like a little buttress for yours. It's true. But I will say, here's kind of a weird part that kind of gets into sexiest part. May I share my sexiest part? I would love it, honestly. It pains me mm. to share mm-hmm. that my sexiest part is when they're making out mm-hmm. in the classic section of the bookstore. It was very sexy. Now, I'm sure you loved it. I did. I absolutely did. This, this book didn't have a lot of sexy parts. Maybe some quiet flirtations. It's very sanitized. Actually, I would like to amend my sexiest part. Sure. My sexiest part. And you can take that one as your sexiest part. My sexiest part. Because we can't have, we can't have the same ones. It's not my sexiest part. I came armed with multiple <laughs> sexiest parts. Incredible. How? <laughs> How? I find this book very sexy, which says more against, about, the, against the odds. Take a look at her now. A parenthetical against all odds by Phil Collins. <laughs> I okay. So my actual sexiest part, upon reflection just now, is when he goes to the pub that she works at as a winch, and they have a little flirtatious tete-a-tete as a winch and a pirate. So good. I thought that was really fun. Mm-hmm. I thought that it was exciting because you 
like Emily can't tell how real or pretend it is. Mm -hmm. Absolutely mushy, mushy. Then you go out and you watch the battle between the gym teacher and the English teacher as a pirate and a, I guess, generic Scots person. (laughs) And then you just like, and then you're like, oh, is he fighting for me? Mm -hmm. I hope he's not fighting over me. That would be so embarrassing. Like, I thought that was pretty sexy. I liked it because it had good flirty, okay flirty banter. Listen, the whole thing's going to be cringe. It's cringe even when it's not, right? Like, of course, when they're talking in their goofy Ren Fair voices, it's cringe. Huzzah! Especially because I don't know if this is true or not, um, but the person who read it on the audiobook, she didn't do good English accents, and I think that might have been an intentional and brilliant creative choice. <laughs> but... <laughs> it's it's a little bit cringe but like to me the cringe is manageable indeed celebratory it's the mists of the waterfall that is ren fair Mm -hmm. and made me feel good it reminded me of like when i went to renaissance festival and i was like there are people here who are visiting and there are people here who are alive for the first time yeah like they are only themselves at the Renaissance Festival. Mm-hmm. And I loved being and I thought that was so fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I totally agree. I like I the I love the stuff when he's Captain Ian Blackshear and he's flirting with her and he like kisses the inside of her hand and he oh, like stop. just, you know get out of here. Yeah, and he's like and it and it creates a space of question because you don't know if it's the character Captain Pirate Ian Blackshear and Emma Barwench or Emily and Simon. And like that frisson of what is this creates really excellent, what I would call Renfair specific tension. Um, and it's delicious. Like the the sexual cringe tension works really well in the Renaissance Fair. Mm-hmm. There are times later on when they're in the bookstore mm-hmm. and it's after hours mm-hmm. and they make out in the classic section that the discussion is still cringe, but it doesn't seem self-consciously cringe. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't. They're not doing funny voices. They're sharing their own honest and indeed mid-opinions about classic literature Talking about anything other than how incredibly sensual I am when I'm kissing you, no thanks. Talking about your opinions of books? <laughs> Are you thinking about a, a book right now? Those things people with glasses read? I mean, it depends on the book, right? If you're thinking about Rochester telling you how he wants to rip open your rib cage and find the little thing that is you and tie it to his thing that is him. Time out. This isn't fun in real life. You should not think like that IRL. Bye. <laughs> Bye. I'm keeping my rib cage to myself. Thank you very much. Mm. Absolutely not, Isabeau. Mm. Absolutely not. He could be talking to me about the cute flirty scene that I just shared was my sexiest part in Well Met. I would be like, excuse me? Where are we right now? 
<laughs> are you kissing this face? Not anymore, you're not. Why are you thinking about a book? <laughs> We're living the rom-com. Mm. No, but I just found it like like the the corporeal part of things, the makey outy stuff, if you will. Mm. I found to be like really well written. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Captivating, interesting, wasn't distracting. Mm-mm. Sometimes that corporeal stuff does get like distracting and confusing and like weird. But I did not like the context. I think that's fair. I'm surprised that you didn't choose the shower scene. I thought like tender menstruations underwater is always going to be like the thing that gets you. No, I don't like water coming onto my head. I like it to be surrounding me like a blanket. No, it's tubs only. Tubs only. Well, that's why uh, I was very into the shower scene where she's like, I'm dirty from all the dust at the Renaissance Fair. And he's like, come back to my place. I'll get you clean. And then they have this amazing shower and like this like... I don't know. Blowjobs are always... Yeah, that's a blowjob scene. Yeah, they're very rarely my sexiest part. But, like, the way in which, like, it all happened, I was like, A, I'm not distracted by anybody's weird body parts getting in the way, like, sometimes happens. Or I'm like, your elbow doesn't bend like that. Stop describing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? exactly. Like, this book didn't have get that. Get out of the car. <laughs> get, get out of your straitjacket jeans. Um, this book didn't have that. Like, I thought the shower scene was like, I was surprised by how titillating I found it, which is why it was my sexiest part, because it truly surprised me. I like, I'm always going to love a makeout session in a bookstore in the classic section. And, you know, you and I have kind of like put a moratorium on a first sex scene because I also thought the kitchen sex scene was very sexy. Um, all the stuff at the run fair, just like. Pfft. Dreamy. Yeah. Cover me in a turkey leg. You know what I mean? I'm just like. turkey. Grease me up with that turkey <laughs> leg. And push, push me down the hill. I guess. <laughs> I'm hard. <laughs> what do you say? Consumed. Oh, pro tip. Isabel and I um, won Renaissance Fair food this year. We got the artichoke that comes with clarified butter, and then we got a turkey leg. Please continue donating to our Patreon. <laughs> it was so good. Oh, my God. We need God. to recoup those losses. <laughs> um, but you dip the, like, part of the turkey leg mm. meat that's, like, between the bone and the skin gets a little dry. Dip that. In the clarified butter you get with your artichoke. Re-grease your turkey leg. Mm, this is the free advice you come for. Like, you want to do run fair right next year? Get that artichoke. Get that clarified butter. Get that butter. artichoke with your turkey leg. Mm, you won't be sorry. People go up there. They order, like, one turkey leg per person. And then they're like, this is $80. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, one turkey leg. You're supposed to, like... Share it. It is massive. There's a reason the turkey leg is $15 and the artichoke is three. Yeah. Like, smart shoppers. Come on, guys. Let's not lose our heads Mm -mm. to the mead Mm -mm. in the pipe smoke, all right? Yeah, Renaissance Fair is a vibe. It was so fun. But you do get very dusty. Yeah, I'm I'm surprised that a blowjob scene was your sexiest part. Me too. I will give Simon a shout out. He seems like he would be amazed that he got a blowjob. Yeah, he seemed in the book really surprised and pleased, which was nice. Yeah, it was like, like holy smokes. You know? <laughs> yeah, he was like, I was supposed to be doing this to you. Uh, he had very much that vibe. 
which is good. Mm-hmm. Like amazed at their at their luck mm-hmm. is definitely the energy that I think romance heroes um, should bring to the blowjob scene. Mm-hmm. Also, just like most of the sex scenes, like a confidence that is also really grateful. This is the coolest thing ever. <laughs> a grateful confidence. Yeah, I wish you would have been more grateful, gratefully confident in the bookstore. Yeah, I mean, Simon's a little bit all over the place. And I think, like, that's what's hard about it. You know, I complain about the hallmarkification. But there's also little things that I love. Like, I love that they're always wearing a sundress somewhere. Like, there's something about the sundressness of these books. I think the sundresses are great. I think, like, there's a line here because... So I think about this not infrequently because people in my life have said mean things to me about the fact that I live in Chicago. And they're like, in the heat of an argument, someone... Will you like deep dish so much? (laughs) No, it's like, it's like, well, you don't live among the salt of the earth. And it's like, there's like this sort of like, you don't live among real people argument that gets hurled and is kind of in the baked in ideology of this like big city ambitious girl just needs to get a good dicking in a Christmas tree farm. And then she'll find out that she (laughs) wants to be a mom and be a real woman. And I think this book did as much as possible to sort of be like not there. I would like to uh, assure folks that there is in fact... Quite a few in big cities. There's a lot of working class folks. Yes, that's like that's exactly. It's like they're they're real people everywhere because people live everywhere. The whole the argument is just so dumb. It's just on its faces. Um, so her sister is like she. They're talking about Willow Creek. It's not a bad place to put down reeds, you know, if you're feeling Rudy. Rudy is that even a word? I have no idea. You know what I mean. I did. And while April wanted the anonymity of a big city, I wanted those roots, a place where I belonged with people who knew me. And I love that her sister is like lives in this town for the schools for her daughter, but like doesn't like and doesn't want to participate in like the coffee clatch or whatever. Like her sister doesn't like isn't into what small town life has to offer and like is just really waiting for her daughter to graduate high school. And like just like the idea that her sister craves the anonymity of the big city. I was like, oh, boy. So relatable. Because I, I love both. Like, I want to be known at the run fair in the way that I want to be known. And then I, like, don't. I want to come in and out of knowing. And then, like, you can do that in a big city and you can't do that in a small town. That's true. You can come in and out of being known, being perceived. Yeah. Like, you can choose your level of visibility. I really liked her sister's story overall, how she, like, got pregnant. Then her husband at the time was like, this is too much. So he got a divorce. She went to live with her parents when Emily was young to have her baby and to get her public accounting license. And then she found a town where she could get a job and she moved there. And I agree. I thought it was really um, nice how – so she complains early in the book about how the other moms and the – in the neighborhood go and get coffee at 10 a.m. on Thursdays when she's working. And so one of them comes over and invites her. She kind of looks down. Like there's there's something a little bit look downy about it. 
Because she thinks that they're looking down on her. Yes, which was also very real, where she's like, they do it at a time that I can't go because they're, like, making some sort of comment about the fact that I'm a working mom. And it's like... Or that they're just, like, so up their own asses. Mm -hmm. And I think working moms and non-working moms very much kind of look at each other across the... Across the aisle, uh, leeringly. Across the gunnels, you know what I mean? It's like, this is an armed conflict, and, like, the culture wars keep it ever armed. Ever armed, yeah. And, (laughs) but I liked how she has to confront this part of herself, because one of the moms comes over and is like, we're going to do a book club at 7 Mm p.m. And Emily's like, aren't you going to go now? Because they, like, did it so that you could participate. And she's like, nah. (laughs) Yeah. I don't really want to talk about books with them actually yeah <laughs> and then she's like you know and like i thought those parts of the book really did shine but those are the parts where the book allowed itself to be specific and allowed itself to yes. like make a comment about something real rather than just like what is the most sanitized everywhere version of willow creek yeah i think that's true and her sister is kind of the most like difficult character and definitely, yeah, in hindsight, I'm very curious to hear about how she ends up with that gym teacher. Oh, it got me. It got, it got me. In spite of the fact that I think this is a nomance for me. I think that's right. But I do want to read the second one now. Mm-hmm. There are four in the series now. Well-met, well-bred, well-read, well-butrin. <laughs> well-butrin. I believe it goes well-met, well-played. Well matched, well traveled. Jen DeLuca, if you're listening and you want to do well butrin <laughs> at the Christmas. <laughs> That's off. free. Yeah, I would say that this is on a like this was I recommended this as a romance. I was in love with it when I first read it, but like on its second read, absolutely not. I I like I liked the sex scenes and I was there for every piece of the Renaissance Fair. But boy, this hits really different than the first time I read it. What was the context that you read it in the first time? Can I ask? I think I was just looking for a book and it was like a romance book. And it was one of the first that women and children uh, decided to sell. So like a very famous feminist bookstore here in Chicago that for a very long time didn't sell romance at all, even though it had a sci-fi thriller and mystery section. Um, this was one of the first that they stocked, so I felt like, oh, you know, I'll get it. And I thought it was like, I don't know, maybe I had watched fewer Hallmark movies at that point. There's also something about like, maybe this book works if you don't have to talk about it with other people. That could be. Maybe that would be another caveat, which the vast majority of readers will not have to. Unlike us, we gotta drag our... Drag our butts here. asses. <laughs> I will say like... So if I have a floor for no man's, which I absolutely do, um, and I'm not afraid to say it, it's the tyranny of endearments. The is it Tessa Bailey? Baby girl. Yep, that's Tessa Bailey. Yep, that's my floor. She is so fucking funny on TikTok. I hate it. Is she? That's interesting. I don't hate it. It's just like, how can I like? How can your books be so bad if you're like a likable person? It's just I don't like the books, right? Like that's the other thing about this is like I don't want to say the book is is bad, right? Like, it's just not my, I don't even want to be like, it feels like dismissive to say like, it's just not my cup of tea. Like, I know people like comfort 
comforting media has a very important role to play Mm -hmm. in our day-to-day lives. My comforting media is different, but this is clear to me that this would be a very comforting read for a lot of people. I, I don't think it should be the only kind of thing you read or consume. I feel like we've read better comforting reads, right? And so, like, I think this is, I, for me personally, in my spectrum, this is better than a Tessa Bailey. But it's inoffensiveness is a, it's, it's offensive. <laughs> it's, it, it is, like, remarkably... Beige. I think there's a place for beige, right? Not, not a in the rainbow. Not in the rainbow and not at a Ren fair. <laughs> yes, at a Ren fair. There's lots of turkey legs. Turkey legs are not beige at the Ren fair. When are you eating turkey legs that size? When are, we, when are you just whole hogging them up here? Uh, there's, there's some pictures of me whole hogging them. I know, but you're not doing that in your regular day to day. It's not how like you're going to your workplace and you're just like whipping out a turkey leg. The inside of a turkey leg is beige. <laughs> the clarified butter is Emily's sister. Mm, 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 mm. I'm not offended by that metaphor. I hope the other guy is an artichoke. I hope the guy's an artichokey, but not the kind that chokes you. I mean, I who am I? I'm like, hey, this book is middle of the road. Let's be nice to it. Yeah, I don't know what you're doing in your black muscle tee and your smudged <laughs> eyeliner. And here I am in like am my I- unmade guest bedroom. And I'm like, this is, it could be straight. Like, what is, who are we? Isabel's like rapid and barbed wire and set it aflame. <laughs> and you're like, it's not for you. And I'm like, it is. It is demonstrably for me personally. For me? That is that is true. <laughs> this yeah, is that like is the thing. It's like it is for me specifically as like a consistent Renfair goer, a person who often loves the dead sibling and is like into books. The fact that on its second read, it doesn't hold up for me says something specific about it, where it's like, uh, I wish you would self-interrogate a little bit deeper about what was going on in your first read. I don't think much was. I I didn't, I wasn't doing this with you. I also wasn't interrogating my romances the way that I do now as a reader and enjoyer of them. Did you also think less of romances? Did I think less of romances? I maybe didn't think that they were as important as I do now, but they were important to me personally. And I think like our journey together has made me think about them in a broader sense, in a societal sense. And also like romance TikTok has happened in the intervening and like everything (laughs) RWA blew up. Monster romances became mainstream. Colleen Hoover. Now you got to read a friggin' romance novel about a door if you want some subversion in your life. Yeah, I think like... Gateway drugs. (laughs) Yeah, like if there's like a time in Simon's life, like, you know, before Dead Brother and then after Dead Brother, for me personally, I think there might be a time in my life that's like, it's not just before or after romance, but it's like before or after like, not the flesh and the devil, but maybe like our Joe Hanuary or, mm. you know, our Shana Shana Shauna. Like, I have had a turning point as a romance reader and critic. Do, do you feel like it was for sure a turning point or was it a sloughing? Mm. 
Am I a butterfly now? And before I was just a fat, hungry caterpillar <laughs> eating my way through my days. Maybe. Maybe. Like, I would call this book a nomance. I think it is a book that's for me, but it does nothing for me. And I think that's its, its, its niche. And there are people who are looking for that book. It's not a niche that I find useful for me. Or, like you said, I don't think it's useful cult- like culturally. But I think maybe it has some personal utility. But that's the thing. Like, if you consume stuff like this, I don't know. What does that do for you? Like, if it's all this, all the time. I mean, like, just trying to survive. Like, I go back and forth. I'm like, everybody's entitled to, like, whatever survival mechanism they have. And then other thing, parts of me are like, we wouldn't need survival mechanisms if we would all wake up, you know? And that's, that's unfair. Is it? <laughs> it is, because, I mean, like, I say that from a life of relative comfort, you know? I think that as, yeah, I mean, this exists for somebody. It seems strange that it feels like it was written sp- <sighs> It's like a skeleton key, so it should fit, but it doesn't. That's so true. I think this is actually going to secretly be the book that we think about and talk about quite often. I think so, too, because I think it's relevatory in what it does and doesn't do. Yeah. We were, like, we were, like, so dismissive of Beast, and then it came to define my whole life, (laughs) (laughs) my entire worldview. I don't know. It's no mermaid's kiss. <laughs> it's not like that. No. It is the opposite of mermaid's kiss. It's the opposite. But it's equal. Mm. <laughs> like it's mermaid's kiss is likewise not doing anything for me. But it is for me. I <laughs> And it's equal in opposite way. Yeah. Mermaids kisses Mars. Well met is Venus. And that's that. And there it is. There it is. Full circle. <laughs> Anything else? No, man. I think we... Thesis I didn't write was this episode. Well, <laughs> we probably should have had some more thought out arguments than... Probably should have done some more research. We'll do oh, that wow. next time. You know, maybe like maybe that's what we'll do for the Christmas season. Next time this comes up, <laughs> we'll do some Googling. We'll do more Googling. What came first, the Hallmark movie or the romance novel? Your girl might fuck around in scholar.google.com. <laughs> that's what you come Who here knows? for. The cutting edge yeah. takes. <laughs> uh, with that. Loosen your stays. Never your principles. Mwah. guacamole, everyone. Thanks for listening to another episode of Womance. Womance is hosted, produced, and edited by my friend Morgan. And by my friend Isabel. Our logo artwork is by another friend, Mary Reichman. You can find her on Instagram at m.reichman, spelled R-E-I-S-C-H-M-A-N-N. Original music by Nick Gravelin. And our webmistress is Jane Bonzac. They're the best. 
You're also the best. We so appreciate your support by listening. Please consider taking this to the next level by following, rating, and reviewing. We read every single review. Or even check us out on Patreon. If you'd like more woe in your life, you can connect with us on Instagram at womans and on Twitter where we are at mans underscore woe. Or you can find more episodes and content at womanspodcast.com. If you have an idea or just want to reach out, please email womancemail at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Womance is a part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts to add to your romance collection at frolic.media backslash podcasts. Until next time.